I don't feel like we would have been successful had we not morphed, we would have gone down with the ship. That's the voice of Fallon Asherman, co-owner of Rustic Grain Designs. And I'm excited to talk with her and her co-owner, Justin Asherman, right after a quick word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Jobber. Jobber is software to organize and manage your business. From quoting a project to getting paid to everything in between, Jobber software brings everything together to make projects easy to manage and customers happy, giving you more time in your day and getting you paid faster. Go to getjobber.com Ethan or check out the link in the show notes for a free 14-day trial of Jobber. And if you try it now, you get 20% off your first six months when you sign up. Hello and welcome to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson, the show that talks about the business behind the furniture business. On this episode, I sit down with Justin and Fallon Asherman, co-owners of the Tampa, Florida-based furniture company, Rustic Grain Designs. Justin and Fallon complete each other. Justin does the building while Fallon does the finish work, but it also goes well beyond the physical building of their furniture. As business partners, and married partners, they work to support each other in all aspects of their day. And that is how Rustic Grain Designs has grown over the years to be the successful business that it is today. Follow along as we talk about the most important things to know about your client, the right way to break down your pricing, how the social media community can change your life, and much more. We cover a lot in this episode, so let's get into it and hear about their company, in their own words. Want me to go first? Yeah. Okay. So, um, basically, a little bit about our backstory is we have five kids. A lot of people don't know that, um, but we have five kids. So, we moved. Uh, we moved from a smaller house out to a house that was a little bit bigger, but had a lot more property. We have about three acres at our at our house now. So we, um, we moved out here and it was kind of in the country and, uh, Fallon was like, Hey, uh, I, I want, I want a big dining room table for all of us to eat dinner at. Um, so she found a plan from Anna White and, uh, said, here you go. Here's the plan. Go buy all the lumber, go buy whatever you need for your tools and build it for me. And I was like, all right. Um, I had a little bit of background of like building stuff and construction wise, uh, just from like building docks and working with my father-in-law and stuff. But uh, my full-time job is I'm, I'm a firefighter. So um, yeah, I had, I'm not dumb. I think I could figure it out. So went and bought everything and um, built our first dining room table, used Craig screws and everything. And fine pine yeah it was wet and nasty and that's basically where it started and then um it just evolved from there and it was kind of like a hidden a hidden talent that i wasn't really aware that i knew of until i started doing it and um so i I built out a lot of stuff for the house and then people were like oh man you should start selling it i'm like "Ah, i don't know and us firefighters, we always have a second job. So at the time I had a, another business that I owned and operated 
And um, so basically I did, I wanted to make sure that the woodworking business was a viable thing. I just didn't want to give up and just jump into something that I didn't know that was a hundred percent going to work. Cause I didn't know anybody. I didn't know any woodworkers or anyone. And so, uh, so basically I did all three jobs for about a period of about eight months and the woodworking thing kind of just blew up from there. And I was like, all right, well, I definitely don't want to do the other job. It was, it was a lawn business. So we were outside in Florida hot and it was just not, it sucked. <laughs> so I was like, all right, I'm going to jump into this and see where it takes me. And um, yeah, that's the brief uh, entry story of Rustic Grain Designs on how we got started. I'll add to it a little bit. So when we built the tables, our, our first table, and I did the finishing, he was buying the saws, um, told me about the planer he needed, the joiner he needed, the vacuum system. And I kind of like rolled my eyes, like, really, you can't clean up your own sawdust? Like, that's how new we were to the whole woodworking side of things and um the so he kept just buying tool after tool after tool and then he was like i'm i'm really enjoying this felt like it was um something he was really good at he had like this hidden talent and there's the firefighter uh paramedic side uh that he does that i felt like this also balanced that out i felt like gave him like an artistic outlet that he could create and was really good at so we built a barn on our property as well and then enclosed it and then set up a finishing booth and just continued to add to the investment of rustic grain design piece by piece and right before we started the business we did, we the, did barn. the barn yeah. yeah okay and then it was it had to be like we had rustic grain had to be successful because now we've invested in it he sold the lawn business and he is the one who does 100% of the marketing, the acquiring the jobs, the job quotes and all of those things. And I've been the portion of it where he hands it off to me and I get it finished and lack the stress of, of making it successful. Well, the finishing part is a very big part of making it successful. So. Oh yeah. Yes. Yeah. There's, that's definitely been a, a test of our marriage. <laughs> he spends three weeks building something like don't screw it up. <laughs> and so we, uh, we've been very successful with that. But the, the, another thing I was going to say is that Instagram has been a very crucial part of our business growing too. And just in learning so much more of the craft by meeting people that are like-minded that have done it on the business side, but have also done it, you know, as a hobbyist and really perfected what they did. And so I think he, or I know that he feels it's important to do the same in the community of social media. And that's really been what makes the Instagram of ours authentic is that he's sharing information that he's acquired from other makers that has set him apart and set rustic grain apart from just your garage builds, just, you know, who we, who we were when we built the dining room table on our back porch. There's a lot to get into that you both covered. There is the 
jumping in with both feet saying, not only are we starting this business, but we're investing a ton of money and time into it so we can't make it fail. There's the working as a couple and working as business partners and working as people who physically work together on the same projects, which right. is a lot. And there's also the social media aspect of it. And mm -hmm. not only the marketing aspect, but the learning from the community and giving back to the community. So there's a lot to talk about. And mm -hmm. let's just jump right in at yeah. the first one. You decided we're going to have a furniture company based on building things for yourself. And yeah. then you said, let's make this into a thing. So what was that conversation like between the two of you as a couple and as business partners to say, this is something we can do professionally? The part of it that makes it successful is that Justin, he has been successful in every like venture that he's taken on. So I'm not hesitant to say, let's do this. You know, he says, I need this. And now I don't roll my eyes anymore. I'm like, okay, if that's what it's going to take to make a better build, if that's what, you know, we need in order to, to produce perfection, then that's what we'll use. So when he said, I think I can do this, we had like, I think he mentioned that he already had people just coming to him. Hey, can you build this? Can you build this? Can you build this? I have this, I want done. Can you do this? And it, obviously he said yes. And then our schedule just was booked for us. And then as we grew, the, our business mold has shifted Yeah, pretty recently, actually, um, from building pieces to cabinetry. And I'll let you tell that part of it. Yeah. So, uh, you know, basically with the name Rustic Green Designs, we always thought we were going to do farmhouse and rustic stuff because it was so popular. But probably it was probably like two and a half years ago is when we we kind of started transitioning the business out of that farmhouse furniture side of it and really, really found uh, the cabinetry side of the business that we really weren't exposed to. Uh, we didn't know that it was like a a valuable side of the business. Um, the market was there. Yeah. The market's there for cabinetry in our area due to all the new construction. And um, you can buy a table anywhere, but you can't buy a built-in for under a stair that's only four foot tall, you know? Yeah. So a, fr a friend of mine that I actually met... Um, he was on Instagram, but he was also like a friend of a friend. And we kind of uh, linked up and he had already been doing cabinetry for a long time. His name's David with Bevel Timber. He's actually moved recently up to uh, Milwaukee a couple years ago. But uh, yeah, so David, he kind of showed us that side of the business and like really taught us a lot of what I know about cabinetry and the pricing and just the the technique and you know what tools to to use um you know like we recently just bought a, a four by eight cnc from torque cnc and uh my buddy david he bought a shop saber four by eight cnc at the same time we, we both got four by eight cncs at the same time so 
Um, yeah. Um, so yeah, we, we really weren't expected or expecting to, to build cabinetry. Um, but a lot of people always ask, you know, why, why do you like doing cabinetry versus furniture? Uh, and my reply is usually it's a lot easier to sell somebody on a $10,000 built-in versus a $10,000 piece of furniture. It's just where the money is and especially in our area. Um, so that's what we're going to chase is where the money is. <laughs> that's the story that a lot of furniture companies know very well, where you start one place and you pivot and you look at your market and you understand that the money is coming from a different part of it. And you say, okay, let's pivot to that. Let's yeah. do that because end of the day, you want to be making money. Yep. We thought about right before we hit 10,000 followers on Instagram, we really, th we thought about uh, rebranding the business into a different name because we didn't know if like the word rustic grain designs in it would, would throw somebody off. And I actually asked um, clients, I was like, Hey, what do you think about this name? You know, obviously I had a specific relationship with that client to be able to ask them that, but, you know, I asked them like, Hey, what do you think about the name of the business? Does it, does it deter you in any way or anything like that? And they were like, no, we love the logo and, you know, we love the name. We know what the brand is behind it. And, you know, that's what we invested in. We really don't care about the name. We invested in you and your business, um, how you don't cheat corners and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, so we just kept the name because we really like the, the logo. Everyone seems to like the logo and everything. So just kept it and didn't feel like we needed to rebrand the business at that time. I feel like to add to that, if we had stayed with building tables and furniture, it was a lot more difficult to prove that we built differently than everyone else in our area. To, you know, showcase Justin's skills on social media, but to a customer that's not following along, it takes a lot more effort to show them that this build is different from everywhere else. And especially if we have the name Rustic in it because the Rustic Farmhouse is what comes to mind. And I don't feel like we would have been successful had we not morphed and grown into the specialty cabinetry side of things. We would have gone down with the ship. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. We still build, of yep. course, tables and, mm -hmm. and furniture. We don't not build that stuff. You know, we just don't do the, the rustic, of course, rustic farmhouse stuff. All our stuff is all hardwoods and we do slab tables and epoxy pours and stuff like that. So we don't just do cabinetry, but that's like kind of our has morphed into our bread and butters cabinetry wise. Well, you've expanded what your company offers and started with building freestanding furniture and saw where the market was going and moved into doing built-ins. But that doesn't mean you have to leave the freestanding furniture alone. If you were successful at that right. and successful at the built-ins, then you should continue doing both if you can, if your shop can handle that. Yep. Yep. So Something that you brought up, which I think is a great point, and I want to make sure we hit on it, 
is talking to your clients about how they perceive your business. That mm -hmm. is so incredibly important because they're the people who are buying from you. They're the people who are finding you. They're the people who are looking at 10, 20, 100 different furniture companies and deciding on you or right. not deciding on you. Mm -hmm. You can work on your brand behind the scenes as much as you want, but that's only your perception of it. It's important to see what the outside world is thinking about your brand and how it's being perceived. And the best way to do that is to actually ask the people who are interacting with your company. So that is a very important point to make and one that I wish more people did. I wish more people talked to their customers about Experience. their own brand. Exactly. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and obviously Instagram has uh, given us a lot and, um, you know, there's multiple different reasons why we do Instagram in general, but um, to be able to give back to, you know, not only the people that help me, but the people that are also wanting help from us as well. But not all of our business comes from Instagram itself. There's a lot of people that we get that aren't even following us. And, you know, it's not Instagram isn't our sole, you know, where Marketing. all of, yeah, where all the business is coming from. And that's why the, the conversation that, that I specifically have with the client and, you know, the initial conversation, I, you know, I'm, I'm basically trying to sell myself and convince them on why my company and my business should earn their business over somebody else. And that, that first initial conversation is going to be the most important out of all the conversations. I think that Instagram, you know, if somebody comes from us from Instagram, they already know who we are. They already know the work that we do. There's not a lot of selling of me or selling of the business that I have to do in those situations. But if they don't come from Instagram or Facebook or whatever, then, you know, that's when it's very important for that conversation and to explain to them, Hey, this is what we do. This is our practices. This is the products that we use. This is the finish that we use. This is the hardware that we use. You know, we don't cheap out on anything at all. And, you know, that's, um, so I just want to hit on that, how important it is to sell yourself to the client and, you know, just try to create a picture of what you're going to do versus Joe Schmo down the road and how you're going to be different. Of course, you really need to stand out, especially in an industry like custom furniture, where yes, you have your own take on pieces, but for custom pieces, other people can build that. So let's get into that and talk about that first conversation you have with a client. Somebody reaches out to you and you set up that first conversation. What do you do to make that client say, yes, I'll give you that deposit. I'll work with you. I want to have a piece built by you instead of the person down the street. The first few questions is going to include a budget. It kind of seems maybe kind of awkward and 
out of place to ask somebody what their budget is up front, but that's going to be one of the first couple questions. The first question is, you know, do you have a specific design or style in mind? And do you have any inspiration pictures? And then typically they'll produce something from Pinterest because that's where everyone goes to search any type of built-ins or furniture is Pinterest. And then, um, you know, the next question is going to be, um, do you have a specific budget in mind on what you're wanting to spend on this project? Knocking the budget part out fairly soon, it, it's very important because one, you don't want to waste your time. You don't want to waste the client's time. And you want to make sure that the client is in line or realistic about what potentially the project could cost about. A lot of times the reply that that I get personally is, um, well, I don't know how much this is going to cost. You know, I have no idea. That's why I'm asking. And, you know, that's a, an acceptable answer. And usually the reply is, okay, um, what I can do is I can give you a range on what I think it's going to cost based off of, you know, your dimensions or your design that you provided or whatever. If they don't have a design, then it makes it a little bit more difficult. So I basically try to give you know, a range at that point, I make sure I tell them that, you know, this is a estimated range of what I think this is me shooting off the hip. You know, once I give them the range, then at that point, that's when I sell them on all the practices that we do, all the products that we use, that we spray, you know, spray all of our finishes. We use high-end lacquer finishes for all of our cabinetry. We do dovetail drawers, uh, you know, use all bloom hardware, like all the top of line stuff, how we can provide a very high quality product for them. And the biggest thing too, is that we're gonna design it uh, based off of your specific wants and needs. Cause a lot of people could want something, but they don't really need it, or they need something that they don't really want or something like that. So. Uh, I always make sure I ask them that. So once they're comfortable with that that budget and that price range, then uh, especially on like, um, I only do this on, on cabinetry pro uh, projects. If it's just a table or something like that, then I can quote it based off of whatever they provide. But if it's a, a, a custom cabinetry job, then um, I'll, I'll set up a design consultation with them. So I'll go through the whole design consultation process, which basically I'll, uh, I'll come out to their house. I'll meet with them and their spouse or them or whoever, and I'll go over the design. I'll come up with a design that meets all their wants and needs. And then at that time we will, you know, lock in hundred percent the design. Once the design is complete, then I'll come back and I will draw it in like a CAD program. I was using SketchUp. Now I use uh, Mosaic, which is more geared towards like cabinetry related stuff, a little bit different from SketchUp. Um, so then, uh, then I'll provide them with a 3D drawing of exactly what the project is gonna look like. I'll also tell them that there is a fee for me to come out and do this consultation. Um, I'm not a general contractor. I'm not going to 10 to 12 different homes quoting a roof. Um, this is time and effort that I'm spending to create this stuff for this client that, you know, I need to get compensated for. I'm not going to just do it for free. So before the CAD drawing. 
Yes. If the customer wants a CAD drawing and a physical measure, yeah. then they agree to a consultation fee. Yes. Yes. It depends on the scope of the project. If it's, you know, something reasonable, it usually starts at like 400 bucks for me to come out and do the consultation design. Um, then, uh, you know, it, it's been up to a thousand dollars, depending on how big the scope of the project is. And, you know, I just, I make sure I tell them as well as that, you know, the, the consultation fee will be added to your final quote once you decide to go with us. Um, and then that usually once I say that, usually they, you know, are perfectly fine with the paying the consultation fee. But what I've, what I've found too is that if, um, if somebody has an issue with paying $400 up front for a consultation design and they don't want, want to do that, that's not really a client that you want. Um, how are they going to invest in five, 10, 15, $20,000 project if they don't want to you know, invest $400 or whatever it is up front? Me coming up with a consultation fee and going over that design process with them, um, it really weeds out a lot of people for me because I know if they're gonna if they're gonna shell up four hundred bucks, you know, at least that's the start. They have something that's that's monetary that is they're invested with, so it really weeds out a lot of people for me. Budgets can be a hard thing to discuss with yep. a client. Because it's the first time you're talking to them. It's the first time they're talking to you. And you're still figuring out if you both want to work together. And then you put money on the table and you say, this is how much it's going to cost. Mm -hmm. And that can definitely strain a first conversation with a client. But like you said, you need to figure out if it's a realistic budget, you need to figure out if it's a real client. You need to make sure that nobody is wasting anybody's time because you don't want to have somebody who you're going to invest time into yeah. and time being money and then not get that money back. So it makes sense to have that conversation up front. Mm -hmm. But you also need to be able to know your pricing and know what it's going to cost and be able to come to that number quickly. For you, you said you actually give them a ballpark. You give a client a ballpark number before you do the full pricing. So let's talk about how you get to that ballpark number. And then let's talk about how you get to your actual pricing breakdown so the client knows what they're going to be paying. So you're all on the same page. With cabinetry, it's a little bit harder to, to give you that or give a, a roundabout or that ballpark cost because there's so much that goes into it. What I try to do with cabinetry is I try to just base it off of linear foot. Um, I'll be honest, it, it's going to vary from what your market is. It's going to vary, you know, the prices that I charge in Florida it might be different from what somebody is charging in downtown New York or Las Vegas or Los Angeles or something like that. Prices are going to vary. Uh, when I first started 
in like doing cabinetry, I charge somewhere between 350 and 400 a linear foot. Now it, it's, it's gotten a lot more expensive. Um, so now I charge between uh, 650 and 750 a linear foot. So going off of that linear foot will kind of give you a, a ballpark range of what you should be charging or what is going to cost. Something like a dining room table, a live edge table or something like that. Those are a little difficult as well because, you know, a lot of the cost is the slab itself um, and price can vary in slabs as well. We recently had one that, that the slab itself, it was a conference table, it was 14 foot long and the slab itself cost $7,000, which I was like, holy, that's crazy. Um, but that was an over $20,000 table. So it all, you know, works out in the end, but the biggest thing is just trying to get that, that range with cabinetry. I try to give at least like a $2,000, $3,000 buffer, you know, in that range, I'll say it's between seven and $9,000 or something like that. Um, but with cabinetry, it's easiest to go linear foot and then, you know, that'll give you a start. Once they're, they're comfortable as far as the pricing itself. Um, so like I said, with the cabinetry, I do a 3D drawing. I tell them, you know, once the 3D drawing is done, I'll email them over screenshots of it basically because it's either SketchUp or Mosaic. And then I tell them basically when you approve the 3D drawing, then at that time, then I will quote the actual project and give you an actual physical quote, 100% locked in number. So basically what I do with that is I use the 3D drawing to break down all the materials. Material costs. Yeah, so the, the 3D drawing will, will tell me exactly how many sheets of plywood I'm gonna have, what size my drawers are, what size my doors are, and I'm a very, very loyal customer when I'm, when I'm buying materials from companies. I don't like change. So if I find a company that I like dealing with as far as me purchasing materials and finishes or whatever from, I'll stick with them no matter what. Um, yeah, I might be able to get my plywood from one other supplier and then go to another supplier and get my hardware because I'm saving $5 or something. And it's just like, for me, it's just not worth it. And that company provides me with 99% of everything that I build in my shop. And since I've done the volume of business with them over since I started cabinetry, I really do feel that they, they take care of me on the, the price that they charge. So basically uh, it's a little bit easier for me because I can just get all my measurements from everything and I compile it into one quote and I submit it to this company. Within a week, they'll send me a quote back on 99% of the materials for that whole project. Once I get the, the cost of the materials back, then I'll typically, depending on what the scope of the project is, you know, obviously I'm getting that, those costs or that the cost of the material, 
I'm getting at a, at a, a wholesale price. So I'm going to do a little bit of markup on that as well, just the materials itself. Uh, typically, it's like 15, 20% is what it is. Um, so then I'll have that number set aside, the cost of material. For the next step is I'll sit down and I'll try to figure out I don't do hours. I'm trying to figure out how much labor I'm going to have in the project. Um, I don't do technically hours because I just think it's, it's a little bit more difficult than you just set a shop day rate. And typically ours is 500 a day. I'll try to do, all right, this project is going to take 10 days. So then I know 10 times 500, that's 5,000. The labor itself is going to be 5,000. I'll try to figure out how long is it going to take for me to build it? How long is it going to take for us to sand it? How long is it going to take for us to, you know, finish it and install it? And so I would say I've been short a lot just because I think it's going to take a lot uh, sooner than, than what I get finished, you know, what I get it finished for or how many days or whatever. Um, but I feel that the, setting a shop rate day per day, it just makes it a little bit easier because some days I'll work eight hours, but some days I'll work only two hours, but I charge for that eight hours. But some days I'll work 12 hours, so it'll kind of make up in the long run. So then, um, you know, once I have the material cost, I'll have the labor cost, then I'll add those two together, and then I'll times that by 1.4. 1 1.4 is your 40% margin that covers like, your light bill, your, and the investment in the tools, just like your daily shop stuff, uh, your operating costs to run the business. Um, it's not necessarily your profit. A lot of people think that uh, your profit is whatever the money is left over from your materials alone. And, you know, that's not, that's not technically your profit because your labor, you know, that's not profit. That's your, you need to get paid for your labor itself. So that's not considered your profit. Yeah. So I'll, I'll times that by 1.4. And then that's my final number that I'll give to the client. Having your pricing standardized. So you're not figuring it out differently for every different project. You know, if a project comes in that this is how you're going to price it is very important for keeping your pricing consistent and you can raise it or lower it based on the project but having that through line having that standard type pricing that standard setup pricing keeps your pricing on the same level each and every time and another thing that keeps your projects level is having consistent suppliers like you said, you are very loyal to one place. And not only is that great for getting discounts, but it's also great because you know where your materials are coming from. You don't need to, every single time you have a project, not only figure out how to build the project, but figure out where the material's coming from. And you already have that in the back of your mind. The more steps that you put in place, the more things that you already have set up before you even build the project, the quicker and easier and more efficient the project's going to be. Being committed to 
a supplier is great, but you're also committed to your business partner. You both work together, live together, are a couple. Mm -hmm. Running a business by yourself is hard. Running a business with a business partner who you're also in a relationship with is also pretty hard. How do you both manage that back and forth of working together and living together? I'd say on the build side of it, so the 14-foot slab table that we did, uh, the last table to, to go out of the shop, um, j- like I said, Justin on the front end, he's every part of it. He's the design consult, the pricing consult, and the selling of who we are. And this table in particular, he, the customer wanted the base a certain way. And once we got the slab, both him and I like moved it onto the base that was a fabricated steel and powder coated and bronzed and all kinds of specifics just for this one table. We set it on the table and I saw that it needed more support in the middle. And I'm thinking immediately I go into like, wife mode though, because I don't want to be a, I told you, so you did this wrong. Like that would never work. (laughs) That would never work long-term for the business side of it or the relationship side of it. So I'm trying to think of how can I help this situation rather than point fingers or cause more stress than he's already about to have because we had a delivery date. We were like, thought we were headed out the door and now we pretty much needed to go back to the drawing table for the support of this ginormous table. So I'm an overthinker in the first place. And I think the business side of it has helped keep our relationship um, successful because I don't want to just be someone who criticizes what happened at the beginning or um, I feel like my role is definitely more of just problem solving and adding to making the project successful. Well, it's all about support. And I don't want to say that the table needing support in the center and you working on that is a perfect metaphor and showcases that point for you, but it does. And working together and also living together, there needs to be that cohesion because business is hard. The furniture business is hard and relationships are hard. And when you put them together, People can either come out stronger or they can right. they can snap in the middle like a certain 14 foot table that you were building. Right. So having that understanding of supporting each other and knowing that going in and having that foundation for the day when you work together is very important for your business to run smoothly. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Been a, it's been a good test for sure. Because then once we finish something, we're like, we did that. Like we pulled it off. And usually if I'm stuck on something, yeah, there's, there's definitely people that I per se lean on if I do get stuck. But 
a lot of times if I do get stuck on something, usually Fallon is the one that I'm going to is like, Hey, it's just nice to get a different perspective. And so she's definitely saved a couple projects by, you know, giving that perspective, that different outlook on the project. So you both touched on this a lot throughout the first part of this conversation. And I want to get to it. And that is social media and the role it's played in building your business and also building your extended community of people you can share the good and the bad parts of owning a furniture business. So let's get into your social media and how you use that to further your sales and to grow your business. We we started our account and I think, you know, right, right when we went legit um, was no like October or September 2017. Um, so that's when we actually started the account on Instagram. Originally, it was going to be just a place where I could post some photos of like finished stuff. And, you know, I didn't really know anything about one Instagram. Two, I didn't know that there was, you know, millions of other people that are just like me that are on the platform that are looking for other people that are just like me to interact with. And I remember speaking to one specific person and he was like, and it was, I'll, I'll actually say his name is Adam lazy guy DIY. Yep. Um, and he was like, you know, if you never met Adam or seen Adam on video, he's like seven foot tall too. And I'm only like five foot eight, but he was like, uh, um, you know, it doesn't matter about your followings. And I, at the time, I think we had like maybe 1200, 1300 followers on Instagram. And he was like, ah, it doesn't matter what your followers is. Um, it only matters you building the relationship with that specific brand. Um, so he's like, don't be discouraged that you only have 1200 followers, you know, you know, definitely try to build that relationship with, you know, with any specific brand that you wanted to work with period. That was just a huge surprise on, you know, what the quote unquote, the community is on Instagram itself. So we, uh, you know, just started, started very basic, just not anything uh, video based or anything. We would just post a couple finished projects and, and that's it. And then uh, they, you know, the account started to grow a little bit and I really started to like, you know, step up what posting was and the video side of it and stuff like that. The social media side has given years of us showing clientele what we do. So if we meet someone, you know, that says, oh, what do you do? And we tell them we say, go take a look on our Instagram. And there is years of a portfolio. And I think that when a customer finds us through social media, it's a lot easier to paint that picture of what we do mm -hmm. and how we do it because it's all right there. Mm -hmm. He's got to work a little bit harder to sell um, what sets us apart if they're not on social media. Yeah, but definitely the... Um the social media side of it does bring clients in. I would say probably, I don't know, maybe like 
40% of our clientele comes from Instagram, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as client wise, not really. Um, yeah. So a lot, most of it is just word of mouth or relationships that we've already developed or um, started with other clients or other interior designers or other companies or something like that. So it's not a huge part of the business or where we get business from, but there is some business that does come from Instagram itself. At 40%, it's not the bulk of your business, although it is a good chunk. But from what it seems to me is that more than the business side, it's the community side and it gives you like-minded people to talk to. It gives you a group that you can not only learn from, but also share your experiences with. And that is very important when you are working for yourself to be able to go through all the different ups and downs that you're having with people who have experienced the same thing. Oh yeah, we have to attribute Instagram and the community that has been built to our success, for sure. I mean, the yeah, the stars all align and you meet the right people at the right time, but the people that we have met along the way have given the information and taken the time. Justin's, uh, when he first started, he discussed pricing for hours with different people, you know, like the ba- bouncing things back and forth off each other. And for me, if there's something that comes up in my finish, I have people that I can reach out to and people reach out to me as well. Hey, have you ever seen this? Do you know what caused this? What happened with this? And um, I a hundred percent know that we would not be, I, uh, I know that our success, it comes from many different ways that social media has helped us for sure. Along those lines, there are people who are looking to start their own business and, and they're reaching out to different furniture makers in this community for advice. And there's also people who have been doing this for a long time and who feel successful, but they want to be more successful. They feel like there's more for them to accomplish and they aren't sure how to get there. So what's some advice that you could share from building your own successful business for those people listening? I think you have to be willing to give your time without expecting anything in return. I think that, um, there's been people in our path that have given their time without expecting anything in return. And then we've, we do the same because it's what has been done for us. So it's like passing it along. Um, I can think of the last interaction that I had on social media was um, someone had reached out about something for a finish, the, the product that I used. And then in talking to him, he was a professional automotive finisher. And I'm like, then I said to him, I said, I think you're asking me the wrong, like you're asking the wrong person, these questions. If you produce the things that I'm seeing that you produce, you are light years ahead of me with experience and talent. And he was like, no, I appreciate your take on it. Um, 
you reach out to me anytime you may have a question and um, it's restored a little bit of humanity, my faith in humanity <laughs> for the internet and for just people out there who are um, like good people. And what what's really important is um, you to be able to to start and you got to have that you got to have that support if you have you know especially a significant other you have to have that support from that person uh, if you don't have that then it's going to be a very difficult ride for you for sure so um, making sure that you have that support from your from somebody else, then it kind of makes it a little bit easier. And then you just got to trust yourself and trust that, you know, trust that you're going to succeed and, you know, set specific goals that are obtainable for you and just make sure you hit those goals and it'll, uh, it'll hopefully work out, but you just got to try it. You just got to try it. You just got to get in there and you got to make it a reality because you can have a company in your head for as long as you want, but it will never be successful until yeah. you put it out there, until you share it with the world and you share it with your customers, you share it with the furniture community and you make yourself successful. Thank you both for talking with me today and for sharing your story and how you got to the place you are today. I do really appreciate it. And I wish you both the best of luck moving forward in your business. Thank you. Yeah, thanks for having us, Ethan. I appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Abramson. If you liked what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast anywhere you like to listen. To learn more about the show, you can visit buildingafurniturebrand.com. And feel free to reach out anytime to say hey, ask a question, or suggest a guest for future episodes. Our email is hello at buildingafurniturebrand.com. You can follow along with me on Instagram at thebuildwithethan, and I can't wait to bring you the next episode. This show is produced and edited by me, Ethan Abramson. Hope you enjoyed, and thanks so much for listening. The Building a Furniture Brand with Ethan Amerson podcast is proudly part of the Woodpreneur Network, the media network and community for wood entrepreneurs. Check out woodpreneurlife.com for more information.